Hello friends! Exciting news for today's Stampy's Award Show. Lisa and I have picked up a new sponsor. And it is Four Color Fantasies. You have already heard us wax poetic about Four Color Fantasies. It's in Winchester, Virginia, and we get in our car and drive for an hour to browse their back issues. There has been so much conversation about comic book retailers lately, and we are so lucky to know Four Color Fantasies. It is easily one of the best shops in our area. It's been operating for 36 years. 36 years. We love Mike and Eric. They have the friendliest, most knowledgeable staff. They have bottomless back issues that are constantly being rotated. They have amazing events. And that would be enough to make it an amazing comic book store but they do more. They have built this tremendous community around them. Not only are they co-sponsors of our Alamo Drafthouse Film Club series that we do every month. Next movie is Hulk 2003 on January 21st at four o'clock, but every Tuesday, they put out a video highlighting the new releases of the week. You can find those videos on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, links in the show notes. They have this infectious enthusiasm for the medium and they have a true love of the medium. They love comics, every kind of comic. And they love readers, which they've proved many times over with their sketch cover charity auction. They've raised over $27,000 for the literacy volunteers of the Winchester area, featuring artists that you're gonna want a piece of. Yeah, one time they had Daniel Warren Johnson do this incredible Beta Ray Bill sketch. It wrapped around. Yeah, of course we did not <laughs> score that one, but it is kind of ridiculous how Lisa and I alone have been able to acquire original art by the likes of Jeff Lemire, Brian Stelfreeze, Steve Lieber for super inexpensive prices. This auction, this is where you need to be if you love comic book art. And if you splurge a little, that's okay. It's all for literacy. And guess what? They ship. So you are a silly goose if you do not follow all of their socials and see when they announce that that next auction is kicking off. Yeah, and the next auction will have original art from the likes of like Charlie Adler and Sean Phillips. I've seen the Sean Phillips James Bond cover. Oh, want And it. Lisa and I will be gunning for it. So you're gonna have to compete <laughs> with us. Now, if you are local or you don't mind a long drive, January 6th, Four Color Fantasies will be having their massive post-Christmas sale. And it's so cool how they do it. So starting at noon from one o'clock, everything in the shop is 5% off. One till two, 10%. Two to three, 15%. Three to four, 20%. Four to six, 25%. But that is where the game's discount is capped. Six till eight, 30%. Eight to nine, 35%. Nine till 10, 40%. Supplies discount capped. 10 to 11, 45% off, but that's where the new comics and trades discount gets capped. And here's where it gets nuts. Do you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. 11 till midnight, 50% off of all back issues. So they do this sale every year. They also do a pre-Christmas sale every year. And Lisa and I did attend the pre-Christmas sale from 11 to midnight. 
And we bought so many oh, G.I. Joe comics for goodness. so little. Uh, it's such an event. Absolutely worth the drive. Four Color Fantasies in Winchester, Virginia. Make sure you're following all of their socials, especially their Facebook page, because that's where you do all your bidding for the cover sketch charity auction. And they haven't announced some of the covers that they've gotten so far. And you're going to really want to place some bids on this original art, friends. It's the best kept secret in comics. So good, we don't want to tell you. We would much rather just buy these ourselves. But they had to sponsor us. Yeah. So, so. secret's out. <laughs> You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. And I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, part the beaded curtain, everyone put your keys in the bowl. We've lit scented candles, we've pushed all the hard furniture to the walls to make room for beanbags and afghans. Because we're having a love-in for books. Hmm, what is the waft from that scented candle? It sure is interesting. Oh, they're all 2023 comics inspired. This one is Balsam and Innerjohn. And over there <laughs> is Gotham Winterberry. Ooh. Do not sniff the Gotham below. Just, <laughs> just don't. This is the Stampies 2023 part two. Yeah, and we're sticking with the love it, Lisa. You know, I I hate to rewrite copy. I just do. <laughs> uh, so it's almost 2024, friends. The new year is in sight. You can almost grasp it. Uh, it's actually several days away for Lisa and I. <laughs> uh, it's actually the 23rd of December for us. But we've just recorded the Stampies part one. And if you recall from that episode, we had a mountain of gifts that we had to wrap for our family. And we did pause to do that. We've accomplished that goal. So now our the entire love nest is covered in shredded paper as if some kind of beautiful holiday bird came to make their nest. Uh, I was going to say a beautiful holiday bird took a giant dump <laughs> in our living room. But like it's a festive wrecked. dump. Yeah, a festive dump, a festive dump. Uh, and let's be real, like it's been wrecked since San Diego Comic-Con. Like we, we have, have not, not recovered. We have not recovered. <laughs> 2023 has been great. Yeah. I do know that based on last year's award show numbers, that some people listen to part two and not part one. Weird. Like, I think we probably have some new listeners just for this episode. I would encourage you, new listeners, to go back and check out the Stampies part one because we had a lot of fun with some really unique and interesting categories. And we gave a ton of recommendations of amazing books from 2023, both from ourselves and from our very generous and wonderful guests. Yeah, so our categories in the Stampies Part 1 were Best Comic Book Couple. Best Superhero Series. Best All Ages Comic. Best Memoir. Best Digital Comic. Best First Issue. And Best Single Issue. 
And you might wonder why we picked those categories, and the answer is because those are the comics <laughs> that we wanted to talk about. The way the stampies work is that Lisa and I pick a bunch of books that we really loved, and then we just find the categories to make the awards ceremony work. We love our stampies. We really stress and we really stew and we really consider and go back and forth on what books are we going to feature and what books are we going to celebrate. But at the same time, these awards have like no merit. We haven't read every single thing. We don't have any kind of like special expertise other than being just big time comic book nerds who are just looking for another excuse to talk about the the comics that we love so much. And if we don't mention a book that you absolutely loved in 2023, please let us know cbccpodcast at gmail.com or just hit us up on any of our socials at CBCC Podcast because we're here to read books and discover new stories. Yeah. As the Stampies approach, like we feel like we have to hyper-focus. We can only read 2023 <laughs> books. Yeah. Anything else is a waste of time. Yeah, desperate, rabid reading. But there's no way that we can get through everything. We're only two people, and we also have other things. We have lives. Um, kind of. <laughs> what am I talking about? I'm just bragging about something that doesn't exist. But like the second that the Stampies are over and it is 2024. I want to read everything that I missed. I want to read books from yeah. the past. And honestly, that's the point of any best of article, any best of podcast. It's a list of books that someone says are really, really good. And you go to them and you're like, oh, I need to catch up on these titles. Hey, they're pretty good. I like some more than others. I don't really like them at all. It's a conversation starter. Any best of Anything is really just an excuse to have a conversation. And there is no better high than someone saying like, Lisa, I listened to the Stampies and I heard you going on and on about this great book. So I got it and I read it and now I love that book. And then whether we are in person or we are over the internet, we high five just continuously several times as if it's the sound of people applauding because we are applauding the the uh, beauty of sharing books and talking about literature. So for the Stampies part two, the categories are going to be writer of the year, artist of the year, best international release, best ongoing series, best limited series, the original graphic novel, and then we're going to introduce a new award at the very end of this episode that we're not going to really spoil just yet but it's but super special it's very special and included in this episode are also a bunch of friends that we've invited to call in and name their favorite comics of the year and you can see their names in the show notes if you want to be spoiled but please go to the links and follow them on all their appropriate socials check out their podcasts if they're podcasters read their articles if they're writers support these wonderful and generous folks. They love comics and they're doing great work. They are standout members of the comic book community. And I think one of the best, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use the word blessings. One of the best blessings to come out of doing comic book couples counseling is this community that we're building. And all of these people are wonderful hubs that you are really going to enjoy yeah. visiting their little corner of the comic book world. 
So, Lisa, um, before we get into the official Stampy's Awards, I want to first finish drinking this bourbon that I've poured myself. <laughs> uh, it's delicious. They don't sponsor us, so I won't say who they are, but I really like it. That would be so fun if all of a sudden we got sponsored by Spirits. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Mitch Garrett's, uh give us a call. You can hook us up with some uh, bourbon sponsors, right? Oh. Um, but uh, I also have this beautiful tin of chocolate chocolate that we ordered from chocolate effects they did a hellboy mike mignola themed chocolate tin yeah and, and it's like it's got a beautiful christmasy picture of hellboy on the front uh, yeah i mean you know it's a mignola illustration so it's incredible but then when you like pop the lid off you also have like oh, I mean, here's some foley art here you can hear this uh the, the the chocolates themselves have like little mignola drawings like insert drawings uh right on top of the chocolate and okay. i wanted to try them Lisa, oh this is on so Mike. fun this is actually a surprise for me i did not know i'd be eating on yeah. mike today so which one do you want do you want like the order of the fly uh do you want the monkey that monkey's got a gun lisa do you want hellboy seems selfish for me to take hellboy i mean you can take hellboy what about this frog? Yeah, grab the frog. Take grab frog, the frog. frog. I am going to get the monkey with the gun because that's still probably like the best panel in <laughs> comics that's ever existed. I couldn't take that from you. Uh, I couldn't deny you that moment. Thank you. All right. Um, I'm going I'm to... Do you should we do the same time? Well, yeah, we're, we're doing it. Bite into the chocolate. Some people don't like hearing people eat on Mike, but... I know, but what about the people who really like him? <laughs> Those people can go to my OnlyFans. <laughs> um, we don't have an OnlyFans yet. You know what? I wish there was like a legend I that told you. Was. What is this? Is like a caramely one? How how is yours? It's good. It's really dark chocolate, mm. and it tastes like it might be coffee flavored. Mine's milk chocolate, and I I think it's caramel, and it's it's freaking good. This has got to be disgusting to listen to. You know what? Fifteen we seconds skip. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, we won't eat the entire box on Mike. I couldn't. It's so rich. Mm, it's good, though. Pass me the tin. There you go. I've actually pulled up the um, list of flavors from the chocolateeffects.net website, and I think mine was a spicy hot chocolate ganache with vanilla bean. That spice really hit me after after I had finished the chocolate, and we actually turned the mic off in disgust <laughs> to the noises we were making. Yeah, but we still saved a whole bunch of mouth sounds for you. Uh, <laughs> is there a caramel one? Am I correct? Was mine caramel so flavored? So there's a salted caramel, and then there is also an apple cider caramel. Which do you think yours was? I I think mine was salted caramel. Do you know what's heartbreaking is that the assortment only has one each. Oh, so like yeah. you can't have the experience that I just had, which was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I, I loved it. I I'm I'm excited to eat the rest of this tin. Also, not SpawnCon. That no, was an no, honest review. No, no. Uh, Chocolate effects, though. If you uh, do want to sponsor us, uh, we are willing to talk to you. Ooh, reach out. Uh, that tin. I wish we could also say like, hey, listeners, go out to Chocolate Effects and buy that tin, but it is unfortunately sold out. But do go and browse, and and it's not just for comic book fans. If you're any kind of nerd you're gonna find some chocolates that you are interested in that are really fun and creative and as yeah. you can tell by the crack well tempered yes well i'm feeling rejuvenated and refreshed i've had my little snackies i've had some sugar i feel like i'm ready to dive back into this lovin face first 
So let's hear our first guest selection for best comic of 2023. Hey there, my name's David Brooke. I am a writer, manager, and co-owner of AIPTcomics.com. Also a co-host of the AIPT Comics podcast. You may have listened to it. I hope, hope you did. I hope you do. We've had some incredible guests this year, and I have been very busy. Um, I have, as of this recording, I have reviewed 363 comics this year, uh, spanning the big two, indie comics, uh, what have you. Uh, I like to read a lot, to uh, do a weekly comic book podcast and recap the news, but also, you know, this means I get to get a, I think I have a good sense of what was good each week, but also what is exceptional. And uh, Lisa and Brad were, were nice enough to ask me to, to join in again this year, talk about my favorite comic, and ah, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, not even talking like graphic novels, but I am a big superhero guy, and so I have to say Danger Street was my favorite comic of the year. Um, it's a maxi series that actually wraps up at the uh, actually in December, mid December. The twelve issue series started in December of twenty twenty two, but all, the rest of the eleven issues came out this year. And man, Tom King and Jorge Fornes are basically creating something that feels elevated for superheroes, that makes you think every single month it comes out, and also utilizing characters that are lesser known and honestly C tier. Uh, until they came around, not because the characters are bad, just because they haven't been used. And, you know, once you put each issue down, you're going to be surprised at how much content is there. The story is about uh, the, the dingbats and new gods and a woman who doesn't like to be called Lady Cop trying to solve a simple crime in a simple town, and yet she lives in the DC universe where gods might fly through buildings any given day. She has a beef with Superman that we slowly get unveiled throughout the series. Um, and yet, you know, I was surprised every time I picked up this book how much content there was to, to, to noodle on, to think about. You know, I kept turning the page while you read, and, and there's more book, there's more book. And that's in part because there's, you know, a lot of panels, a lot of story, a lot of character development, which is kind of, you know, the creme de la creme as far as what I love to read. And so there's a lot of value in the book. Um, and I think that value also comes in the way of making you think. You put down an issue and you start to think about what does that mean? Or, you know, what is the, there's a whole layer of Dr. Fate's helmet who caption, who's uh, basically speaking to us through captions about a fairy tale story of princes and ogres and princesses. And yet, you know, we've got these very ordinary characters on the page. And, you know, it's also impressively made. Uh, it, the story is a parable for modern times, utilizing modern superhero sensibilities. And, you know, sometimes your patience might be tried by it, but I like feeling challenged when I'm reading so many comics each week. You know, I am, I'm there for just an action fight comic. But then you pick up Danger Street and you can see what superhero comics can do, how it can feel elevated and modern and adult. Um, I mean, it's a can't-miss series, um, and, you know, it's a way of seeing how comics are a higher art form and can be. Uh, there's a place for that, too. And then just to throw in, <laughs> because I can't just pick one, I also really love Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four is a, is a, is a close second uh, favorite book of the year. Uh, I think issues three through something like 13 came out this year, 
every issue by Ryan North is a thinker. There's some interesting science-y, semi-realistic science problem for the Fantastic Four to resolve, but also, again, character. Every character gets to shine in this book, and sometimes more than one, but usually just one gets the focus in each issue. Uh, at, the co- at, at its core, this is interesting sci-fi, where, you know, Ryan North even said to me on the APT Comics podcast, he's spending way more time trying to figure out how to make the science problem work and then how to have the heroes solve it. And, you know, he's putting in the extra effort, more effort than, you know, just another superhero book where they're punching each other in the face. Not to disparage those, of course, but you can tell when you pick up this book the amount of love and effort going in to make these adventures, these sci-fi adventures, compelling and clever and well-structured. And, you know, Fantastic Four hasn't felt this, you know, genius in a long time. So, yeah, my favorite book of the year, Dangerous Street. I've I, I, It's had some moments where I wasn't so happy with it, but at the same time, there just wasn't something so consistently um, compelling and elevating for superhero books and for, you know, modern big two comics. Great picks from David, as always. And actually, Lisa and I just finished listening to the AIPT podcast end of the year episode. And if you want to hear David and Nathan wax even more poetically about Danger Street, go give that show a listen. Yeah. Danger Street was absolutely one of our favorite books Mm -hmm. of the year. I was rereading a little bit of it uh, a few days ago in preparation for this episode. And I really started thinking about how... The book reminds me a lot of what Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were attempting to do in Watchmen. Not to say that Watchmen and Danger Street are on the same level quality-wise, or that they're even trying to say the same things thematically, but just in terms of how Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, they wanted to do this thing, and originally they wanted to do this thing using Charlton characters, you know, Blue Beetle and The Question, and it looked like they were going to be able to do it until they were told no, and they had to come up with, like, their Blue Beetle and their Question stand-ins, you know, Rorschach and Night Owl, but Tom King and Jorge Fornes They wanted to do their deconstruction thing, and they wanted to use those first-issue specials that DC published back in the 70s, and they got the chance to actually use those characters, right? And the joy of Danger Street becomes, how do you make sense of a world in which Lady Cop and the Dingbats of Danger Street exist alongside Darkseid, (laughs) the New Gods, Warlord, all those weirdos? To me, Danger Street celebrates one of my favorite things about comics and this idea of the shared universe of when you are not actively reading a character, they are continuing to yeah. exist and do stuff. Yeah. And of course, the the pop culture reference that I really appreciate in Danger Street is Into the Woods. Yes. Because it's exploring that same idea. The first act is the fairy tales as we know them, Cinderella marries the prince and it's happy ever after. And then the second act is all about like, how can we be satisfied with that? Yeah. Is Cinderella's story really over after the happily ever after? And of course it isn't. There are all of these like repercussions about what happened in the first act. And that's one of the things I love about Tom King and what he's been doing this year is that he's been teasing at 
how stories function and why we don't question that more often. Yeah, and that's the insane thing, right? Like, Danger Street alone would be a monumental achievement. And yet, Tom King has put out several books in 2023 that we absolutely adored, and Danger Street is not even our favorite one, which is why, when we're talking Writer of the Year, again, we gotta give it to Tom King. It doesn't even feel fair how many brilliant ideas he has. So he starts the year by completing Human Target with Greg Smallwood. Amazing. He totally sticks the landing with that book. Uh, James Gunn just named it as his favorite comic of 2023. Uh, He ends the year by launching Animal Pound from Boom Studios, his take on George Orwell and Animal Farm. Uh, He puts out... Wonder Woman, yes. <laughs> like the first four issues are currently available. And, and like for my money, it's one of the best Wonder Woman runs we've had in a long time. And again, I know it's like Birds of Prey we talked about last week, uh, but, you know, it, it's just a sh- we, we only have these handful of issues, but they are all so, so, so good. And they are about the function of narrative in our lives. Yeah, And it returns Wonder Woman to the radical idea that she should be. Yes. Uh, the winning card storyline that he's doing with Mitch Garrods in Batman Brave and the Bold, mm-hmm. that is the most nightmarish version of the Joker. I, like, there are panels from that comic that I see at night, and I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> it yeah. keeps me up. But our favorite Tom King book of 2023 is one that I want everybody on the planet to be reading. It's the collaboration that he is doing with Elsa Chartier, the image comic series Love Everlasting. What Tom King and Elsa Chartier are needling at with Love Everlasting is those old romance comics that I have since starting reading Love Everlasting have been aggressively collecting. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's changed you as a comic collector. Yeah, well, I've always liked that art style. I've always liked that, like, 50s, 60s kind of glamorized romance look. And I just didn't have a good enough excuse to start like furiously buying them. What Tom King and Elsa are leaning into is that these are extremely formulaic and based on dysfunctional ideas. Like a lot of the romance stories are like, you know, I don't have a boyfriend, but my roommate has a boyfriend and he's really cute and we seem to have more in common and oh no, my girlfriend doesn't want him anymore and now he's my boyfriend happily ever after. Yeah, and those books also play with genre. They dip into, you know, ghost stories, westerns, crime sagas. But the formula is always the same. So the center of Love Everlasting is Joan Peterson, who we meet as the protagonist or the, I guess, the ingenue of these romance stories. But then her brain starts getting mixed up and she discovers, oh no, I've been living in all of these romance stories. And every time I actually fall in love and get that first kiss, I am drop kicked into another story and have to start all over again. So this is, so Love Everlasting is about Joan Peterson trying to bust out of that narrative. And we find that behind this kind of nightmare she's living through, there's of course this like controlling factors that are absolutely mind blowing and baffling. Yeah. And you know, the first arc that came out last year set all that up, but then in 2023, 
we get something a little bit different. Joan is no longer bouncing around from genre to genre. She's stuck in one life, in one romance, and she keeps waiting for this cowboy to show up and blow her brains out so she can hop over to the next romance comic, but it's just not happening, and why is that? Yeah, so, like, because... Because she has it in the back of her mind that all of these other romances aren't real, she can't fully engage in her real life. And I think that that is something that actually happens in society. Those of us who have grown up reading, like watching romantic comedies and and watching those Disney movies, we expect some kind of like, you know magical match that makes everything okay. And that's just not how love works or life works. And so we get to the end of that second arc of Love Everlasting in 2023, and I am very anxious and concerned and utterly compelled. I cannot wait for the series to pick back up in 2024. And I I mean, I'm still just really like at a loss of where this story is ultimately going to end but I'm pretty sure it's going to end in a really fantastic way because Tom King has been nailing those landings with all of his limited series lately. Oh, man. And, and it always feels in- impossible, right? But we can't talk about Love Everlasting without, like, heaping praise upon Elsa Chartier. Yeah. I love her style. She captures, without doing any kind of copying, she, like, kind of celebrates the nostalgic look, you yeah, know? She yeah. really she really leans into all of these different genres and stories, and I, and I just love her art. 2023 was also the year we joined uh, her Patreon. Yes. And we get these little mini postcard uh, posters from her now and like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer one was so lovely but of course U- Usagi Ojimbo yeah. in Elsa Chartier style oh yeah highly I, recommend that Patreon yeah oh man Patreon making making getting the mail fun again I feel a little self-conscious giving Tom King writer of the year again for like the third time in a row on the stampies yeah uh, but he just writes comics that really speak to what Brad and Lisa love. Mm-hmm. His Mr. Miracle with Mitch Garrods was the fourth comic we ever covered on Comic Book Couples Counseling, and we've returned to his work over and over and over again within the Counseling Session episodes, and Love Everlasting will absolutely be the subject of a Counseling Session in the future. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. We just need it to be concluded. Like peanut butter and jelly, you can't talk writer of the year without immediately transitioning into artist of the year but you can't have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without without having a friend to share it with and who do i see over there oh it's cat calamia hey guys this is cat comic you know i am the writer of webtoon slice of life and also the beast in snow on kickstarter And my favorite comic book of the year is second comic trinity this is the third volume of a book that just never lets me down. I I love how sarcastic this book is, but also warm all at the same time. It's about Jesus Christ becoming roommates with a superhero. And who knew that religion and, and our American mythology of superheroes would collide so well. But it's also a very heartwarming book. And, and this one has to do with what it's like to be a father and having to let go of your child as, as we get to see that related with our superhero character that plays kind of like a Superman type of, of role, and then also God with Jesus Christ. And it's just a, a wonderful book, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Neither Brad nor I have read Second Coming Trinity, but I have already heard Kat talk so excitedly and effusively about it because we both just guessed it on the comic book Yeti 
Ice Awards. And of course, she brought her favorite book of the year up. And so I've already given her this recommendation, but now I'm giving this recommendation to you guys. If you love Christ in comics, or just in general, I don't know. <laughs> um, you have to read. It is his birthday, Lisa. He it just is had his it. Birthday. You have to read Saint Young Men. It's a manga where uh, it's the Buddha and Jesus Christ taking a gap year as roommates, <laughs> and it is literally the coziest, most adorable comic ever. It will change the temperature of a day. Like mm. if you're having like a crummy day or a lonely day, you can read this book and and it'll just lift your spirits. It is so sweet. Yeah, you've been talking about that for a couple years, years now and, and I have like, not <laughs> I've not read it, but I need to. It's just there's so many volumes of oh, it. Oh yeah, it's like you know how manga are, like where you get that first volume and you're like this is so fun. I've just discovered it and then the volumes start coming out every 2 months and you just start freaking out. <laughs> there's no keeping up. Hey, but that's why we are here. We're here for uh, recommendations and discovery. And on that theme, let's get to our artist of the year. It shouldn't be any surprise for any longtime listeners, but we got to go with Junie Ba. Yes. He had a crazy good 2023, and mostly he had a crazy good 2023 in the month of October when he published not only Mobilis, My Life with Captain Nemo from TKO Presents, but also from Dark Horse Comics, The Unlikely Story of Felix and Macabre, done in collaboration with Hassan Atsmani Elhow. And he also managed to put out a short story that month in Harley Quinn, Red, White, and Black that was cute as hell. Was it cute as hell or was it flipping disturbing? Uh, well, I mean, it was a Harley Quinn story, right? <laughs> so it's a little bit of both. Uh, I love that anthology series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DC Comics anthologies in general have just been really, really wonderful all year round. But yeah, I mean, Junie Ba, an incredible 2023. And it looks like 2024 is going to be even more insane from him with, I think, four projects. Not quite announced, but he's been teasing them on his social media pages. We do know for sure that he's going to do a mini series of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yes. which will launch with the free Comic Book Day issue. And that's absolutely one of our most anticipated comics of 2024. Reading Mobilis for me was one of my highlights of 2023. It is such an impeccable book and a complete thought from Junie Ba. He's the writer. He's the artist. He's the letterer. It's it's the whole shebang. Yeah, the colorist. I mean, yeah, it, it's a rare, rare totem. There, there aren't too many comics like this one coming out in 2023. And you get the impression that, like, Junie Ba is creating directly from his subconscious. Mm. Mobilis is his take on the Captain Nemo story. A stowaway is found on the Nautilus, and Nemo decides to take that little girl under his wing and try to impress his psychology, his worldview on her. But of course, she comes onto the ship with her own worldview that she got from her parents and where she came from, and it's like this battle of wills yeah. between these these two individuals. And this story ends in this kind of um, conflicted, unresolved place, but it feels so right. It feels honest. Yeah. It feels very honest and philosophically attuned to where we are right now in 2023. It is a fast read, but it is also a sumptuous read. Yes. It is a massive book. Like... 
when we first read Junipa, when we discovered them, they had done Jalea, published also by TKO, and it came out in this beautiful digest size, the perfect format for that comic. And now with Mobilis, My Life with Captain Nemo, it's this massive coffee table graphic novel, and it spreads so well on the table. Um, it just is... It's a physical manifestation of how hard TKO gets it, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's gargantuan, it's gilded, and it's great. I had to come up with a third G, but, like, <laughs> like it's, it. it's gorgeous. There it is. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And it's packed with surprises. Yes, like you said, it is his spin on the Nemo idea, but it is also very much a Junie Ba comic of Junie Ba working out his own issues in this story. And also there's some Peter Pan in it too. It's his fluency with literature, I think, that really gets me. The way that he can take these kind of um, zeitgeisty ideas and then say something that feels really personal and really specific. And again, speaks to the now. Mm -hmm. With Writer of the Year and Artist of the Year out of the way so early in the Stampies, where can we turn to next? I know a friend we can count on, his face beautifully illuminated with a book light. Let's invite this guest over to love on his favorite book of 2023. Hey everyone, this is Christian Holub, and I am honored to once again participate in Comic Book Couples Counseling's year-end episode. Uh, I want to take a second up front to congratulate Brad and Lisa on the incredible work you guys have been doing on comics coverage. I love seeing this community you've built and how hard you work to cover so many different types of comics. Personally, I have to admit this was a bit of a down year for me when it comes to comics. I wasn't able to cover the medium as much as I have in recent years. Other assignments, uh, predominantly in movies, TV shows, took up more of my time and energy. Um, but I think it's also fair to say this was a bit of a transition year for the medium, uh, well, superhero comics in particular. We all know what a bad run the MCU is having at the box office, but 2023 also marked the beginning of the end of the X-Men Krakoa era that has been one of my favorite comic things for the past couple years. Uh, listeners may remember me giving a shout-out to Hellions on a previous edition of a CBCC's year-end episode. So that's just kind of bummed. Fall of X, that's just kind of bummed me out. And meanwhile, the Krakoa architect, Jonathan Hickman, I didn't really love what he was up to this year either, um, whether it was the Ultimate Universe resurgence, which is fun and cool, but not particularly new, and Gods started off kind of weak. Um, but Hope Springs Eternal. And in any case, I did want to give a shout out to one comic in particular that really dazzled me this year, especially since I haven't seen it on a ton of year-end lists, and that's Boys Weekend by Maddie Lepchansky. Uh, for those who don't know, Lepchansky has long been a hilarious political cartoonist, contributing great, uh, timely comics to The Nib before that site shuttered, and their own blog. This is their first graphic novel, and I think it's really awesome. Um, true to the title, Boys Weekend starts out as the story of this protagonist um, who agrees to go to their college roommate's bachelor weekend, even though they have transitioned gender since then and are therefore not feeling super close with this array of former frat bros and finance types. Uh, from there, though, the book goes right into genres I love and that I think a lot of listeners love, like sci-fi dystopia and cosmic horror. I think one way you could describe it might be a John Carpenter movie, but about right now instead of the Reagan 80s that Carpenter was responding to. Uh, Boys Weekend has 
all the clone farms and monster tentacles you could want, while also coming up with its own fascinating metaphor for gender dysphoria and the personal journey that every trans person goes on. Uh, comics have obviously been, recently been a great place for artists to talk about their personal experiences with gender and identity, especially as uh, national politicians and big media publications have horribly ramped up homophobic attacks in the past year or two. Uh, so I really respect how Boys Weekend contributes to this tradition in its own new way while still being an incredibly entertaining read. Uh, Lubchansky's art style is such that even when it's just a couple of characters talking, it's very entertaining because they have this inherent humorous style. So every, every character is fun or funny to look at. And then when they get to kind of while out with more of the genre tropes and, and big ideas as the book goes on, um, those are rendered pretty awesomely too. And like I said, I worry that it's not getting the attention that I think it deserves, so I wanted to give it a shout out here. Uh, go read Boys Weekend, and if you're curious, you can check out my interview with Maddie Lovchansky on EW.com. We did that earlier this summer for Pride Month. Um, so yeah, that's the one I wanted to shout out, and I can't wait to see what the other picks are this episode. Cheers. Thanks, Christian. And yeah, that is a book that has slipped under our radar. But since listening to your blurb, we have ordered a copy and we're looking forward to reading Boys Weekend. John Carpenter of today? Yeah. 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 But also, no, but yeah. <laughs> so our next category is Best International Release. And it is one that Lisa has championed to me throughout the year. And I'm so glad that I got my hands on it. Juliet, or if you want the full title, Juliet or the Ghosts Return in the Spring by Camille Jordi was actually first championed to me by Nicole at Big Planet Comics. And I'm not sure if Nicole knows, but I am like her biggest fan. Like <laughs> all of her recommendations, like shoot straight to the core of me. Uh, she does know that you like comics and she does know how to sell comics to you because even when you don't come to Big Planet Comics with me, <laughs> uh, she's like, you gotta buy this for Lisa. She's gonna love it. And uh, you know, Nicole's usually right. Actually, she's always been always right. Always right. Juliet is going through kind of an emotional breakdown from the stress of her job in Paris. So she decides to go live at home for a little bit and kind of rest, recover, restore. But then immediately she is launched headfirst into all of the drama that's going on at home. And then also she makes a new friendship that creates kind of a third safe space for her. And what I love about Juliet is it's a comic it's gorgeous to look at. It's kind of like a slice of life comic, but leans into how ridiculous and weird just a regular life can be at times. And it, it was like a, a one sit smit, like in one sit, <laughs> I read the book and I was completely smitten yeah, yeah, with it. And yeah. I just immediately started gifting it to people. Um, we actually sent our hardcover to Jeff Smith, which I regret <laughs> because now Why? I haven't been able to find the hardcover oh, again. Yeah, 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 so yeah. then I bought myself a soft cover, which I immediately gifted to my sister-in-law. She knows that now because uh, we had our Christmas on the 23rd. 
Just like Christian Holub is compelled to champion Boys Weekend, I am compelled to champion Juliet, and I love it, and now Brad loves it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like Mexican, right, that we talked about on the last Stampies, part one. It was a book that you read, and, you know, I'm a stubborn person. <laughs> like, I love recommendations, but sometimes it takes a little while for the recommendation to sink in. Rebel tendency. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you had to keep saying, Brad, read Juliet, read Juliet, read Juliet, read it's Juliet. It's going to be on our stampies. It must be. And I eventually did. And yes, it is a gorgeous book. You cannot undersell how pretty this comic is. The watercolors at work in this book are phenomenal. Uh, but then, you know, the emotional center of it is the ultimate draw of the book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's bittersweet. It's... I mean, it's bittersweet to the point of devastating at times. And yeah, uh, I, I, I bow to Lisa and Nicole's recommendations. The translator on this is Alicia Jensen. I think it would be bad to not mention her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny too. It's like all of life's emotions packed into a like a gorgeous jewel box. Like uh, immediately when I gave it to my sister-in-law, she started like flipping through it and I was like, be careful, it's for adults. Yeah, and our niece was yeah. peering over the shoulder and as as uh, your sister-in-law, our sister-in-law flipped the book, there was a quite a spread on display <laughs> that our niece did get an eyeful of Lisa. But there are, th there are things that uh, young people should be aware of. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, not. Yeah, I don't know. I'm don't not know. a parent. We're not parents. And thank God, child-free, because yeah. it allows us to have love-ins like this Stampy celebration. Love-in for books. <laughs> yeah, love-in for books. Uh, but we can't get to our next love-in guest just yet because we got to do some... Referrals. Sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referral segment. And normally, that's when we suggest some really rad extracurricular reading, but our guests are already sort of doing that. So we thought with our stampies, we would just look back at all the awards that we have named in the past Stampy Award Part 1, as well as this one, the comics that you can find right now on Omnibus. And you just need a browser. You don't need the Omnibus iPad app. If you have a browser, you can buy a book. So you want to read some of these comics that we've listed right now. On Omnibus, you can find Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees. Transformers. Rare Flavors. Love Everlasting. Animal Pound. Second Coming Trinity. Unlikely Story of Felix and Macabre. And Boys Weekend Plus. A bunch of comics that we're about to name during the second half of this episode, but we do not want to spoil. Omnibus is just a cool, fun, safe space to curl up and read some of your favorite comics online. I know, we're brokenhearted. Comixology is dead. But Omnibus is run by two great guys, Kenny and Travis. They're comic book readers just like you. They know exactly what they want out of a comic books app. And do we really need to be funneling more money to Amazon? Kenny and Travis, they're not Bezos. 
They're okayzos. <laughs> you heard it from me. Funny last episode. Still good this episode. <laughs> last time it was just something that just like popped into your brain. <laughs> and this time you're like, no, I'm doubling down on that catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. I, I, wa- I, I want the t-shirt. I want the t-shirt. <laughs> Kenny and Travis, you can make that happen. Uh, but we do use Omnibus on the reg. We really do believe in what they are doing there. And uh, you, you got to check it out. You got to check it out. Please do. Link in the show notes. And that's going to bring us to the end of our... Referrals. The Stampies are now revving up to some of my favorite categories. Up next, best ongoing series. And to help us get that going, who's out there in the love nest? Oh, I see you, Troy. (laughs) You like my acting? Yeah, I just wish this was a video podcast for one second. I'm Troy Jeffrey Allen of Rexco Comics, um, but also PreviewsWorld.com and Previews Catalog, uh, your comic shop's number one source for all things uh, in comic shops. Uh, So my pick uh, this year is How I Became a Shoplifter. Uh, When I was about nine or ten, I definitely stole some Transformers and movie stickers from Giant, uh, and my mom told the cops to take me. (laughs) So that, that part of me really appreciates how I became a shoplifter. There was other shoplifting incidents after that still, but we won't get into that. Um, This is a book from Sumerian. Uh, It dropped in late 2022, uh, but it ended in 2023. So I'm going to count it for my pick of the year um, because it was only three issues and each issue had two different stories in them, um, which is kind of a neat little trick, like in terms of format, right? Uh, Because it shows that like you can give the readers a more fulfilling experience uh, just by altering how you format a comic book instead of doing like a three issue arc. This is like two, two or three issues per story. So you really feel like you've been on a ride with these characters. Um, the characters are Phil and Ethan. Um, they are high school kids. They are high school age. Um, they're neither popular or smart, which is actually something else I can relate to. Um, they are they were they are somewhere in the middle. And Phil's uh, goth brother likes to inflict abuse on them. And they've just had enough. Uh, so they decide a plan of revenge, um, and that's just one story. But that's kind of like the domino effect of things that happens, and that that starts the 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 wave of things of juvenile delinquency that happens per issue. Um, there's a story about trying to cop weed for two girls, Molly and Mindy, of course, because we have a crush on them. Um, but the one the story I knew where I was like, oh, I'm gonna love this book. Uh, there's a tragic story about juggalos. <laughs> um, which to me was like, okay, this book is filled with generational touchstones specifically for me. So I respect that. Um, the art changes from issue to issue. You got Jordi Perez, Becca Carey, Daniel Hilliard, and a bunch of other artists and writers. They're tagging each tagging out on art duties. Um, I love it um, because even though it's different artists, they all like kind of have a nineties energy to what they're doing. Um, so that's cool. And not like a life of McFarlane. He's more like a Mike judge, um, Liquid TV, Sam Keith, Kyth, the same Kyth or Sam Keith, I can't remember. Um, so there you go. For the record, I never stole comic books. I just want to point that out. Comics convinced me to actually pay for stuff, um, but not everything though. I definitely was out there still stealing lemon cookies and Snickers bars and Marvel Universe trading cards. So I was still Marvel. I wouldn't still Marvel comics. I still Marvel Universe trading cards. Um, anyway, if you like this, you'll like uh, Ninja Funk, uh, which is available from Massive. What's it? Uh, which I think is fan of graphics. It's a bunch of, about a, uh, a colony of pimples that lives on this teenager's face about to revolt. And uh, Deadly Class, which you're probably already reading because Deadly Class is like the best in 
just teen drama there there is out there. Um, you'll also probably enjoy my comic, my webcomic, BAM. It's uh, B-A-M-N, BAM. That's on Webtoons. It's not finished, though. We're working on it. I promise. Uh, okay, I'm done. I'm Trey Jeffrey Allen. Um, hang out with me at TJA Comics on my social media or at Rexco, uh, which is R-E-X-C-O, Rexco Comics. Just anywhere. Go anywhere and find it. Thanks for hanging with me. Bye. Thank you so much, Troy, for those recommendations, plural. Shoplifting is one of those like quintessential life experiences that I just <laughs> yep. didn't get to have. And if I started no. now, would be like super weird. You never I've took never anything? shoplifted. And I worked at a, like one of my first jobs was at a music store mm-hmm. and they had those like whistle pops where you could yeah, like play them like a slide whistle, but yeah. they're also lollipops. And I totally, who knows how long, I've ne- I never sold one in like the, the three to five years I worked there. And like, if I just ate one whistle pop, no one would know. Like, like it was sitting there tempting me the whole time. But like, even as a teenager, like I did not like uh, also smoking cigarettes, quintessential life experience. Never did it. I've done both of those things once. Oh, funny. Like, that's what I want. I don't want to start a life of crime. (laughs) I remember being a real young kid, like six or seven and stealing some candy and then immediately confessing to my dad. And then my dad was like, we're going back to the store. Yeah. Like the same thing that happened to Troy there. And then, uh, you know, much, much later I was like in, I had graduated from college and my buddy Paul was a smoker and I was like, give me one of those. Let me try that. And I was like, why does anyone do this? (laughs) I hated it so much. But yeah, great recommendation, Troy. Lisa and I definitely need to seek out those comics and give them a read. But now on to the Stampy for Best Ongoing Series. And I am so excited to announce this one. I've been a fan of this comic forever. I finally made Lisa a fan of this comic. And I think this year, this comic has been better than ever. And I am talking about Usagi Yojimbo by Stan Sakai. Yay! I love the conceit that you've been a fan forever because we know that that's not true. Well, you've been a fan <laughs> since 2020, I mean, yeah, and then you retroactively okay, loved. Okay, okay, all right. No, no, no. First, okay, yes, that's true. But like 2020, doesn't that seem like forever ago, Lisa? I feel like I'm a def- definitely like a different person. <laughs> uh, like the deal with Usagi Ojibo is that I first read it when the Senso Trade paperback came out, which is uh, a series that we've covered on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Uh, it was the last episode of our four-part counseling session with Miyamoto Usagi and the Lady Tomoe Ame. And... I, I, I was curious about the comic. Now I'm getting so defensive. This is not the place to do it, Brad, on the stampies. But I was <laughs> curious about the comic, but I never went back and read the whole thing because the comic's been going on since 1984. Next year will be the 40th anniversary of Usagi Yojimbo. But then the pandemic happened, lockdown happened, and I was like, no, this is the moment. This is the moment where I can read all of Usagi Ojimbo. So I have been a fan for forever because 2020 was forever ago. And then also you like go like, I've now read all of the comics, so I retroactively have loved this comic since 1984. Correct. Little time pockets. 
Stan and Julie Sakai also launched their Dogu publishing imprint in 2023. They began the year with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover Where When, which was a ton of fun. But when they brought the series back to Dark Horse Comics, it felt like Stan Sakai was rejuvenated mm. in some way. There was this new energy to the series. And these last three issues of the Ice and Snow miniseries have been phenomenal. Jay is back during the IDW run. We saw Jay coming back in, along the fringes, but now he is officially here and on Usagi's trail. The last issue, three, was extremely funny, the way that Jay was bossing all those bandits around, but then you had this yokai, the lady in the snow, and the way that Stan was illustrating the yokai was really, really creepy, uh, actually kind of frightening at times. And while we have seen these two arch enemies clash in the past, there's this new sense of urgency to this particular battle. And we also have the added bonus of Usagi's cousin Yukichi being there. But again, most profoundly is the fact that Stan Sakai has been doing this for nearly 40 years. And this feels like a comic that could have come out five years into the run, not 39 years into the run. The number one question that Brad and I get asked when we are championing Usagi Yojimbo as hard as we do is like, where am I supposed to start? Yep. And we completely understand it can be intimidating to look at it like a 40 year run. Yeah, I was intimidated. That's why I went back all the way to the first Thanagraphics issue. But we've since learned that that is 100% not required. Like Stan Sakai is such a good cartoonist and so aware of how comics work that there are so many jumping on points that are fantastic. Like often I'll say like just my, my out of the back pocket answer to that is grass cutter, but you can completely start with this run. Yeah, I like. I would say you don't even need to necessarily start with Ice and Snow issue one. You can start with issue three. You can start with issue two. Because Stan is so new reader friendly, he catches you up pretty darn quickly. So if you have been kicking the can down the road of reading Usagi Yojimbo, make it your New Year's resolution. Yeah. And then once you've read all of Usagi Yojimbo, you can say, <laughs> I have been a fan for the longest time. You know, it's so fascinating how everyone in the comics world knows that Stan Sakai and Usagi Yojimbo are genius. But I think we take them for granted mm -hmm. because they're so good. We do not tend to put them on top 10 end of the year lists. And I think it's time, like right now, because of his return to Dark Horse Comics, it's time to celebrate Usagi Yojimbo again and get more readers on this book. There is an opportunity there. And I think Dark Horse also knows that there is a new sense of excitement around Usagi Yojimbo. Not only are we getting these new series, Ice and Snow, the next one's going to be The Crow, but we also have Space Usagi. They are reprinting the original Death and Honor stories with new colors by Emi Fuji. And I think Emi Fuji is the best colorist that Stan has ever had. No disrespect to Tom Luth, but Emi Fuji is doing some really interesting and unique things with shading in the Space Usagi books. you got to pay attention to that. And if you do start reading Usagi Yojimbo, you have to let us yeah. know because we want to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Tag us in all the socials. Uh, all right, moving on to the next Stampy, we are coming up on Best Limited Series, and to introduce that one, 
We have some friends in the love nest hanging out by the chips and dip, and they've got their favorite comics of 2023 for you. Hey, Brad and Lisa, it's Jessica and Mike from Ten Cent Takes. Thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of the best of 2023. Yeah, rules to be back here again. Do we get a member's jacket? Like, I feel like we should since this is like our third time on the show doing this. This is the first I'm hearing about jackets, but I want one. Right. (laughs) So, Jessica, what, in your opinion, is the best thing that you have read all year long? Well, I read The Holy Roller, published by Image Comics, and it was in November of this year. Yes, I always seem to pick comics that are just getting going in the fall or winter, but this was a really good one. It was written by Rick Remender, Andy Samberg, and Joe Hmm. Troman. Art by Roland Boshi, colors by Moreno Denisio, letters by Russ Wooten, edited by Harper Jayton, designed by Erica Schnatz, production assistant was Gabe Dinger. So the plot follows Levi, who grew up in a small town in Ohio, along with his mother and his father. And his father's a big deal in their small bowling community, their small town bowling community. So he himself played as well and was touted to be a great player in his youth. However, Levi loses a bet to the son of the bowling alley's owner after having to ditch a video game competition with the son Clyde, stating Hmm. that he was never allowed back in the bowling alley. So 20 years later, Levi has been living on a Greenpeace ship with a bunch of hippies and a captain a little too obsessed with marine sea life. When he gets a message that his father is sick and that Levi should go home and see him one last time if he wanted to say his goodbyes. So Levi goes home to the now dilapidated town and spends a small amount of time with his father, who sends him off with his lucky bowling ball. And boy, did that bowling ball come in handy when Clyde and his goon squad found out that he had made a brief appearance at the bowling alley. (laughs) This sounds unhinged. I love it. Yes. Yeah. This comic took me on an emotional journey with Levi struggling to connect with his father, as well as his past in the town and the Jewish background that he had also been avoiding. Nice. So, yeah, it was really well written. The art was amazing. And it was definitely uh, volatile (laughs) towards the end. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, what about you? What have you chosen for this year's best? (laughs) I have also chosen something from an indie publisher. So I'm talking about Sirens of the City, which came out the summer from Boom. It is written by Joanna Stare, illustrated by Carrie Randolph and lettered by Ant World Design. The story follows a 16-year-old Layla who is a punk rock teenager of color as she searches for her birth mother in New York after an incident in middle America where she manifests a power causing people to follow her orders, which causes... Let's call it an incident, but it's an incident that we don't feel bad about. When she's in New York, we see her using her power a little more freely, and there's something very different about it when she uses it. Her speech bubbles look supercharged, and it's the same color as her very blue eyes. And I don't want to say much else about the story itself, other than it's this really cool, fresh-feeling narrative, and it introduces us to this larger supernatural world in a way that feels really clever and natural. But Randolph's art is like absolutely incredible. It is this beautiful black and white style that's simultaneously hyper detailed and it really captures 80s street style pretty perfectly. But they also use a couple of colors. They start out with blue and red to help convey effects and moods throughout the issues. And then in later issues, we start seeing other colors like green and purple I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this book. And the New York that they've created really gives us 
these like fantasy kind of spooky vibes. I found myself thinking a lot of the Lost Boys when I was reading this and not because it's full of bad boy rock vampires, which those do actually exist in the comic, but just kind of the general vibe. Wow, that sounds great. Nice choice. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out Holy Roller. Well, Brad and Lisa, thank you as always for having us on. We love you guys. We're so excited to hopefully cross over with you again next year. And uh, what do we want to say? Like, yeah, I don't know. Happy New Year. Yeah. Have a great 2024. I don't know. We're really awkward sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Love you guys. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Jackets? Those were your ideas. You can't be like, hey, this is the first time hearing about my great idea of jackets. Although I like the idea. I like the idea of Stampy's jackets, but I maybe think I... they could make them for oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah, you make our jackets. I love that idea, though, of like going into someone's home and being like, ah, you... cake, that's a great idea. I'll have a slice of cake. <laughs> great recommendations, though. Need to read The Holy Roller. We have read Sirens of the City. Uh, big fans of that book. Uh, we would co-sign that recommendation for sure. Now, moving into our second to last. Is it our second to last, Stampy? Best limited series. And Lisa, do you want to do the honors on this one? Do you want to clear the calendar? Because I cannot say enough good things about this book. Since I read the very first issue... Part of my brain space, part of my RAM is spent just continuously thinking about this story. It is Batman's City of Madness from Christian Ward. It's his next level art married with the best Batman story of the year. And I look at what Christian Ward does out in the world and I go like, do I even have talents. <laughs> I love City of Madness, and I love the audacity that Christian Ward had to do a sequel to Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth by Grant Morrison and Dave McKean, and then he had the expertise to actually pull it off. The thing that makes Batman City of Madness like so brilliant is that it is in conversation with Arkham Asylum. So it's not just like additional, like what's happened since then, but it is responding, it is proactive. And Christian Ward's like effervescent, sparkling brilliance just pops off the page. Like it's this story where I really get in trouble with like making a comic sound not fun with how far, like with how hard I love it because I love the meta conversation. It's having about trauma and the areas where we as a culture have made progress when it comes to trauma, but also there is some like toxic stuff just still bubbling under the surface that we need to address and we need to address it soon. But yeah, Batman has a squid face and he's punching and <laughs> kicking people. Well, he looks at Arkham Asylum and he sees how Grant Morrison and Dave McKean are treating all of Batman's rogues with such empathy mm -hmm. and how Arkham Asylum puts Batman in the asylum with his villains. Like, really, what is the difference between Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent? And he continues, as you're saying, that conversation in City of Madness. This is a very empathetic work and therefore a very emotional work. It is a series where you hit certain page turns and there's a lump in your throat. Yes. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything that happens in issue two in particular. I want to spoil everything that happens in <laughs> is issue two specifically. 
when I was reading that issue, I kept thinking I was hitting the end. Like you would get to this emotional, like, whoa. And then that's got to be the cliffhanger. And then you turn the page and then, oh, actually there's several more. There's like three or four WTF moments in that book. And WTF in the sense of like revelation, character revelation, emotional revelation, but also, yes, action revelation. And framing everything is Bruce's relationship with Alfred and they are communicating through a letter because one is asleep while the other one is awake. They're never in the same room together at the same time because of the whole vigilante system that they have built. And you can sense all this regret and heartbreak within that conversation. I think a lot of the conversation right now around Batman is like, is Batman good for society or is Batman bad for society? And like, to me, I go like, that's the least interesting way to look at Batman. Like Batman is like us. Batman is complicated. Yeah, Batman is society. Yeah, we're Batman. And the closer that we look for the delineating line between good people and bad people, the deeper of a mess that we're in. Christian Ward's approach to Harvey Dent, Two-Face was revelatory to me. Like the moment that we met, Harvey Dent from Gotham Below literally made my hair stand on end. And to me, that is evidence that we should never stop talking about Batman. Batman is a dipstick into our cultural guilt on our sense of um, unfairness or, or, or our, our self-hatred for how, how the world is going and our inability to fix it ourselves. 2023 saw the release of two issues of this three-issue miniseries. The third issue is going to come out in February, but without saying too much, I think Lisa and I can say that we're very confident that Christian Ward is going to complete this circuit regarding this thought. And the great thing is, then we can talk about it again in our Stampies 2024. Yeah, I believe the hardcover comes out in September 2024, and we will have a conversation with Christian Ward diving deep into City of Madness. We're going to do the ultimate City of Madness conversation with him, and I'm extremely looking forward to that. My personal favorite Christian Ward CBCC conversation is actually on our Patreon. And oh, it's yeah. our Married to Singles episode where we go like page by page through Arkham Asylum. Yeah, a true deep dive into that series. And I, I love that series that we're doing, the Married to Singles stuff. We had Daniel Warren Johnson talk about the nom number nine. We had Jason Ayers talk about Uncanny X-Men number 183. And that's plug, 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 plug. That's over now. Plug, 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 plug. Plug, plug, plug. Moving now into our next category, best original graphic novel. And to set that up, Who's out there in the lovin'? It's the Comics Collective. Hey, everybody. We are the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of the hosts, Dallas. I'm Alexis. And I'm the other host, Anne. And this, we've jumped on to talk to you about one of our favorite comics um, from the year. And we wanted to do a shout out for The Hunger and the Dusk. Anne, do you want to tell them a little bit about it? Yes, so for all of you people out there who are looking for a really great fantasy book to dive into, as all of us at this podcast love to do, Hunger in the Dusk is going to be the book for you. It's this wonderful tale about this really interesting world that's well past its prime, where orcs and humans have to come together against a bigger uh, bigger threat, and there's a lot of bloody action and violence, but also a lot of, um, you know, really sexy people and orcs doing some really sexy things. It's a pretty great book. It's got everything you want. It's it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. G. Willow Wilson is the writer. Art is by Chris Wildgoose. And they come together so, so well. It is, it is a gorgeous comic to look at. And 
definitely one of the best ones I've seen on shelves all year. So true. I agree. I mean, what more could you want from a comic that has fantasy in it, right? That's mm-hmm. a match made in heaven, if you ask me. Um, and we actually were so fortunate this year to be able to talk to G. Willow Wilson in person and interview her for our show while we were at Comic-Con. And that was such a fun experience to be able to hear firsthand about this series from the source. And we would love if you guys checked it out. I mean, we think that you'd have a great time. We're absolutely in our fantasy smut era. Like if you listen to our (laughs) most recent episode where we talk about everything other than comics, we swear we'll give you 50 other episodes a year about specific Mm -hmm. comic books. But this one's for us. We talked all about romance, fantasy, fairy smut. And The Hunger in the Dusk scratches that same itch. If you love romance, if you love great fantasy, and I mean great fantasy, this is the comic for you. It has some of the most elegant world-building storytelling, and it always follows the rule of coming to the action late and leaving early. You will be agonizing every time you leave a scene, and then you will immediately forget that agony as you are caught up in the next. We follow so many interesting characters, so many different points of view. And this is a comic that simultaneously feels incredibly fresh and like coming home to your favorite fantasy novel. We highly recommend it. We want it to go for a million issues. So go out, check out The Hunger and the Dusk from IDW Publishing. Bye. 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 Bye, Comics Collective. Hanging out with them at NYCC is for sure one of our 2023 highlights. It just felt so good to be all in person in the meat space where we can poke each other. Yeah, and Hunger in the Dusk is great. It's a great comic book from IDW Publishing, and we're curious to see where it goes in 2024. Looking out amongst the sea of book lights and beanbags, I feel like our first book, Lovin', is going really well, but I feel like it needs something a little cooler, something a little bit more exciting. How about a little mood music? So our best original graphic novel will fulfill that need, Lisa, because it goes to Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound by Dave Chisholm. Allow me to be the first to say that I don't think Miles Davis would be like (laughs) for mood music. Probably not. Yeah, I've just offended all Miles Davis fans in one transition. (laughs) But Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound was a book that I was anticipating because I am a fan of Dave Chisholm, but I know nothing about Miles Davis, but I love passion and I love people's passion for other people. And Dave Chisholm like is the perfect person to tell Miles Davis's story. This book is such a miracle to me. Yeah. It is like the perfect marriage of like subject matter to creator. Z2 Comics has been doing a ton of biographies of musicians, but the Miles Davis estate specifically asked for Dave Chisholm and Dave Chisholm has literally worked his whole life for this. It is the perfect amalgam of all of his interests and talents. He's been a tremendous Miles Davis fan from the time that he was a child. He went into jazz trumpet and he now has a doctorate in it. And he is an amazing artist and comic book creator. 
translating music to the visual medium is so difficult. I would have thought impossible until I started reading Dave Chisholm books. Into the Blue, he does an exceptional job visualizing the oral experience, and then he takes it to the next level in Miles Davis and the search for the sound. Early on in the comic, we see this moment when Miles Davis was a child out in the woods, and this sound hits his brain, and the sound is this haunting blue image. And then we see that image get reworked and noodled on throughout the rest of Miles Davis's life in the form of this graphic novel. And I felt like I could hear that haunting blue shape. It's because he understands music so intimately. Like, he's literally turned around sounds in his head and observed them from every single angle. Just the way that he takes music theory, he takes like 12 bar blues, for example, and breaks up that page into 12 pieces of different colors. Like he just has such a literalistic approach to visualizing music. And I think like you don't have to be a musician to feel it, to feel that understanding. Yeah, and the other brilliant thing about Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound is that Miles Davis, though, like he comes to life through his own words. Dave isn't creating the thoughts of Miles Davis. He's pulling the thoughts of Miles Davis from his autobiography and various other interviews. Which is the way that we process the people that we admire. We go and we devour interviews and we digest them and, and we try to apply them to ourselves, which I think is the ultimate like phrase of Miles Davis in The Search for the Sound is that you don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be curious about Miles Davis at all. I'm proof of that. But what Dave Chisholm does is take Miles Davis's words and takes Miles Davis's life and says like, this is one way to be an artist. This is one way to synthesize the world and turn it into art. So like it starts as a book about Miles Davis, but it becomes a book about the reader, which is like my favorite kind of book. And Z2 Comics has published it in a variety of ways. You can get the classic traditional hardcover, you know, it's a comic book hardcover, normal size, but I would recommend shelling out a few extra dollars and picking up the big album edition because this is a book that sings, I <laughs> pardon the pun, that sings in the large format. This is a book that we've gifted. I've yeah. gifted it to my brother who was a <laughs> piano performance major. And then we've also gifted it to a secret Santa. And you might be listening. Maybe you've received it. Maybe you haven't. I got the notification they did receive it yesterday, Lisa. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to me, if you are a comic book maniac, if you have made it this far into the stampies, that this is a book that you should seek out, whether or not you like Miles Davis, whether or not you like jazz, because it is also a book that absolutely celebrates the form, the medium of comics. And it's literally like brain fertilizer. Yeah. You put you put Miles Davis in the search for the sound in your brain and ideas just start growing. It's such a spark. Yeah, a true treasure of 2023, and it's been really wonderful to see it starting to pop up on a lot of people's top 10 lists. And uh, I'm really curious, what is Dave going to do next? Because this does feel like the pinnacle of everything he's been building towards, and that's got to be a heck of a hurdle, which is something we have asked him, and he doesn't seem that bothered by that idea at all. He's already on to the next thing. 
And speaking of moving on to the next thing, like, that's what we love to do here on Comic Book Couples Counseling. We are constantly reaching for that next wonderful artist, that next great story, that next mind-opening idea that helps redefine the way that we look at the world. And we're constantly on the lookout for great curators, other champions of the medium. And that is our way of setting up the next Stampy. It's the Jesse Tapia II Champ Stamp. We met Jesse Tapia through the podcast, actually. He was one of our first patrons. He was a tremendous supporter. But upon becoming friends with him, we learned so much about what it was like to really be a fan and really use comics as an opportunity to reach out to people and just start a conversation. Jesse loved comics and his enthusiasm for the medium was absolutely infectious and he was constantly finding and discovering new voices and lifting them up and saying, Brad, Lisa, you got to check out these books. Whatever you do this week, when you're at the shop, pick this comic up. Jesse Tapia passed away in October 2023. He is now swirling in the heavens. So we came up with this Jesse Tapia Champ Stamp Award as a means of carrying on his mission and celebrating these weird, wild comics that maybe you haven't heard of. Yeah, so the plan going forward for every Stampy Awards show that we do is that we will have a Jesse Tapia Champ Stamp. And this is the first one. This year, it's going to Matt Lesniewski for Faceless in the Family. And Matt Lesniewski is just one of those artists who is so tremendously talented and not at all married to the mainstream. Like yeah. he's doing entirely his own thing. Yeah, you know, and it's not like he's a newcomer either. He's been around. Uh, hopefully some of you have read books like The Freak or Static or Crimson Flower. Uh, but this year with Faceless in the Family, I think he's taken his own style to its logical obsessive conclusion. Yeah, like when we did our last interview with him about Faceless and the Family, he talked about like experimenting in his commissions where people would come to him and they'd say, draw Judge Dredd for me. And he would be like, well, I don't want to draw just any old Judge Dredd. I want to draw the most Matt Lesniewski Judge Dredd. And then he was like, oh man, I'm really pushing the boundaries with my commissions. How can I take that? and now do a whole comic that way. And when you look at his illustrations, you can see the intensity in which he illustrates. The effort is there on the page, and his commissions look like the most effortful commissions. And he was like, I love this stuff. Can I make my interiors look like that? And with Faceless in the Family, he's accomplished that. And it's an astonishing feat. To me, he plays with stretching every boundary to its like to just the edge of the illogical conclusion where you look at his anatomy and you see a man punching but that punch is just far enough away to barely be a punch yeah, you know I mean, what i mean it's emotional truth yes. right like it's extreme but in that extremity is an honesty and as witnesses of it it feels like a privilege like we are seeing an artist lift a lot of weight, you know, like, I'm, you know, like you, when you watch like a, a bodybuilding competition, like Mr. Universe and you see somebody 
lift this inhuman amount of weight. You're like, like that is a God before us. That is a demigod. That is a living Hercules. And when you look at Faceless in the Family, you're seeing the illustrative equivalent. But it's like more artful. It's not like strenuous. To me, it's more like like a crazy acrobat. Or like when you see like Cirque du Soleil, where this woman works so hard to go off a trampoline, do a flip in the air, and then land on somebody's shoulders who is like three people up. Like that's the most yeah. unnecessary thing. But when you see it accomplished, it's like, oh, and this is also humanity. Yeah. Like we're also doing this. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I agree. It is incredibly artful, uh, but it's like, I do want to stress the strenuous yes. nature of it too. And we backed Faceless in the Family on Zoop and we received the entire trade paperback and it's a really lovely trade paperback. But I'm most excited by the fact that Faceless in the Family then went over to Oni Press and is being published as monthlies. And we've had two issues out and I really love it as floppies. It works so well in these chapters and the production that Oni Press has been giving to these issues, you can tell that Oni is really excited yes. by the product as well. And the black and white interiors when you hand them to somebody who's never experienced Matt Lesniewski, they go, what is this? It's like the first time you gave them Daniel Warren Johnson. It's not the typical house-style comic. It's extraordinary and maybe a little repellent. Like yeah, maybe initially you go like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But if you stare at it for a little while, you go, oh, goddamn, this is genius? It's like... If Jack Kirby had a baby with M.C. Escher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will back you on that. And I know Jesse Tapia was a fan of Matt Lesniewski and wanted more people to experience his work. And that's what we want. We want more people to experience Matt Lesniewski. And when we were at New York Comic Con, we sent so many friends down to Matt's booth and it was a delight to then meet up with them later and go like, yo, Isn't this that Matt wild? Lesniewski. Yeah, it's crazy. And in the last few years, Matt Lesniewski has done a bunch of variant covers for several titles, stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, stuff like Usagi Yojimbo. And my hope is that we could get him to a franchise that will get more eyes on him the way that like Daniel Warren Johnson going to Transformers has kind of blown up his spot. I want to blow up Matt Lesniewski's spot. Do you know what he should do? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Fantastic Four. Yes. Can you imagine? Yes, I would kill for Matt Lesniewski Fantastic Four. A Mr. Fantastic in his style? Yes, please. And think about his Sue Storm. Can you imagine his interpretation of invisibility? Or even his thing, because oh. it's like hyper detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fire of the human torch. Dr. Doom. We have to make this happen. We this is on my happen. vision board. Marvel, are you listening? Tom Brevoort, you've been on the show. You gotta be listening, right? <gasps> Hi, Tom. He's over in the X-Men world now, though. <laughs> Yeah. I'd, I'd read some Matt Lesniewski X-Men comics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's done some Wolverines. For those of you who want to further celebrate Jesse Tapia's life, the GoFundMe for his family is still open. Link in the show notes. Less than $1,000 to go. So let's just, like, make it. Let's make it happen. Let's make that goal. This has to be an impossibly hard time for his family. So anything that the comic book community can do to relieve some of that stress would be wonderful. One last thing about the Jesse Tapia champ stamp is that we have to acknowledge our patrons. When we started to discuss the stampies this year in our Patreon Slack, a lot of the friends of Jesse came together and they loved the idea of 
this award, but we weren't exactly sure what to call it. So we ran through a few names and it was Kevin Ford who came to the conclusion that the Jesse Tapia champ stamp, it had to be that. Yeah, and Jesse would love it. Like I can see his huge smile now. So this Stampy's lovin' is starting to wind down. I'm going around. I'm going to start collecting some glasses. I'm going to put all of the, like, half-eaten chip bowls away, but not in, like, a passive-aggressive <laughs> way, but in, like, a, okay, we're starting to pack it in. Oh, Brad, look what I found underneath this chip bowl. What's that? It's a bonus Stampy. <laughs> Surprise bonus Stampies. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the year was just too good and Lisa and I wanted to include just a couple surprise stampies. Lisa has a pick and I have a pick and we're just gonna share it right now. Uh, Lisa, I know you wish you could name 50 more stampies, but you get just one more. What is it? I'm giving my b -b -b bonus stampy to the best horror comic of 2023, and that is Tyler Crook's The Lonesome Hunter's Wolf's Child. Yeah, great pick. Tyler Crook is one of those where I'm just, I'm just ready to fall on a sacred sword for. I think mm. he's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that nobody paints like he does. He's also another whole package guy. He writes, he letters, he paints, he does the whole shebang. And I just love what the Lonesome Hunters is speaking to, where it's about Howard, who is an old man who has escaped a cult, but still has this old magic sword kind of knocking around. And he finds a friend in Lupe, who is a young teenage girl, and they create this friendship trying to dispose of this sword and break the magic. And to me, it's a, it's the story of after you have a terrible experience, how do you return to faith? How do you return to believing in stuff when you've had your heart so broken and so dashed? Yeah, in 2022 was when The Lonesome Hunters premiered and the first four issues was collected in a trade paperback and we loved it. But it was the addition of the wolf child to that first story that kind of solidified to me what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sealed the deal. It is like one of my heart comics. Yeah. It's another comic that you're like, what should I be reading? And I'm going to throw this in your face, yeah. full force. Yeah, great pick, Lisa, great pick. Uh, my bonus Stampy. Uh, excuse me, it's b, -b, -b bonus Stampy. <laughs> my b, -b, -b, -b bonus Stampy is going to be, and I don't really have a good name for it, but I think I'm going to go with Best Grindhouse Ooh. Experience, which is a little misleading. I'm picking Blood of the Virgin by Sammy Harkham, published by Pantheon. Uh, uh, original graphic novel, A Big Thick Boy. It is set in 1971 Los Angeles. It's about this character named Seymour, who is a wannabe, low-budget filmmaker. He has this brilliant idea idea for this trashy movie called Blood of the Virgin and he's desperately trying to get this thing made while his family life is kind of falling apart and for most of the book it's about that and it's you know relatively enjoyable but it, you know he he is an idiot and he is somewhat pathetic and he's making all these wrong choices and sometimes it's hard to read but as you progress into the story and I really do not want to spoil it but you get some flashbacks 
of characters in his supporting cast. And we see what some of these people have been through and the lives that they have experienced and lived and journeyed through the catastrophes and horrors of war that they have survived so that Sammy can be an asshole, you know? And I respond to that a lot as the grandson of a D-Day survivor. Uh, I cannot imagine what my grandfather went through on the USS Corey, uh, uh, you know, uh, Gully Gullickson. I, I, I think often about how I'm, you know, wasting a day away in my apartment all thanks to my grandfather. And I think it's something that a lot of us can reflect on uh, sometimes. And Blood of the Virgin uh, really hit that spot for me. It's a challenging book, um, but like it's, and by challenging, I mean, it's like, it's hard to sometimes sit with Seymour and live with Seymour, but the revelations at the end of this book really made it all worth it for me. And I have seen it show up on a couple best of lists and I'm happy to see that. But I don't really see people responding to the element of the story that I was responding to that last two thirds of the book with a certain character's flashback sequence. It just knocked me on my ass. And with me sitting there on my bum, I think that is actually the end of the Stampies. This has been the literal most fun. And do you know what it has me thinking? What? So when I came up with like the pretense of the, this is a love-in for books, <laughs> yeah. like part of me was thinking of like Yoko Ono and John Lennon and the mm. bed-in for peace. Mm-hmm. But another part of me was thinking about like at the school I taught at, they had one spirit day where everyone was encouraged to come to school dressed in their pajamas with like a stuffy and a pillow. And the day was just spent like reading, Mm -hmm. like all of the kids were reading while us teachers were like manically trying to finish (laughs) our work for the quarter. But like, it made me want to have like a day like that, but like for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you're a comic book store and you like to house us, I would love to have a love-in for books where a bunch of comic book nerds just come to a store in their pajamas okay. and we just lay around and read books all day. Doesn't I love that sound idea. like the literal best? It really does. It really does. The Stampies were great, but it wasn't a good enough love-in. Yeah, now I want a literal <laughs> love-in. Uh, well, we do have to thank all of our guests that called in for the Stampies parts one and two. Uh, we love all of you. We especially appreciated all of your recommendations recommendations, the comics we haven't read yet, we are going to read in 2024. And we have to thank also you listening right now. Thank you so much. Whether you have been with us for all five years or you just tuned into the Stampies Part 2, thank you. And we want to wish you a really awesome 2024 filled with books and conversation and love. From the bottom of our hearts to yours. I think like a lot of people this time of year, uh, I I get very mushy. Mm -hmm. And um, there's something that I've been thinking a lot about in these last couple of weeks. I've mentioned it. I think I've mentioned it before on one of our podcast episodes, but I blitzed through. Oh, terrible pun here. (laughs) I (laughs) ran through all of the World War Two 
from the front lines episodes on Netflix. And in one of those episodes is the story of the British officer or not British officer, the British soldier, Ray Ellis. And Ray Ellis fought in Libya. He was at the Battle of Tobruk and he lost all his mates during that conflict and he was taken prisoner and he was marched across the deserts to a troop ship and sailed to Italy. And of course, when he is there, he is marched through the streets with all the other prisoners, Napoli and the and the people are throwing rocks at him. They're spitting at him. They're cursing his name. And he is feeling despair. He doesn't know if he can take it anymore. He's at his end. And when he tells this story, he cannot help but get emotional. And I'll try not to get emotional. Um, but out of this angry mob of people comes this teenage girl and she rushes up to Ray Ellis and slaps a peach into his palm. And before anyone can see the peach, he rushes it to the to his mouth and he gobbles it down. And it's the most beautiful thing he's ever eaten, the tastiest thing he's ever tasted. And the girl was off. She ran back into the, the throngs of people and he bursts into tears. And throughout his life, he would think about this girl with the peach and how helped him get through the darkest moments when he felt like everyone was against him, when the world seemed mad and it was off its axis and hate was run amok. He would think somewhere out there in all that chaos and all that awfulness, there is a girl with a peach. There are many girls with many peaches looking to help, looking to care for another person. And I just wanted to leave 2023 with Ray Ellis's memory in our minds and hearts. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't we should know. all be the girl with the peach, right? We should all strive to be the girl with the peach. And hey, if you're a person who needs a peach, if you are despairing, please reach out and find someone. I have a link to a Ray Ellis interview that's on YouTube, and I'll include that in the show notes as well. Um, but there you go. That's it. The Stampies Comic Book Couples Counseling. We've gotten through 2023. Lisa, congratulations. This has been the best year of Comic Book Couples Counseling. I love doing this show with you. So thank you, too. Oh, I love you. I love you, too, Brad. Yeah. But what what's happening on our next episode? It's so hard to transition. Okay, okay, Brad. Yeah. So what's coming up in 2024 for Comic Book Couples Counseling? A lot of really rad stuff. Honestly, we're recording these two episodes so early. We're not exactly sure what the first episode of Comic Book Couples Counseling in 2024 is going to be. We will be covering Scott and Emma throughout January. They will be the focus of four counseling sessions. The first session will focus on the last collection of Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And I'm very excited for Lisa to read that because she has not. That's right. She has not experienced the Mark Silvestri illustrated storyline. And I'm so excited for her to put that into her brain. Uh, and then what's the next Scott and Emma arc we're going to cover? We're, we're working out those details. But if you have suggestions please send them our way cbccpodcast at gmail.com or just hit up our socials at cbccpodcast 
Okay, Brad, it's time to give everyone's keys back. I don't know if there's some kind of like, I don't know if there's some kind of ceremony to do. They're they're all good to drive. They're only high on comic books. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to write my pineapples. They're no longer upside down. <laughs> right side up pineapples. I said pineapples weird. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, show poster, and fifth anniversary poster, send them to Karen Chap at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Audible, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars, and there is no better gift (laughs) in the holiday season than five stars on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next year, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Let's get to our artist of the year. Shouldn't be a surprise for any long, 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 long,